When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is At Home with the Oregonian. I'm Lizzie Acker. Each week we check in on some of Oregon's favorite people from a safe and responsible distance. Follow The Oregonian on Facebook or YouTube to watch these conversations live. Hello, and welcome to At Home with the Oregonian, where we talk to some of Oregon's favorite people and find out how they're holding up under this pandemic situation we're living in. I'm Lizzie Acker, here from my parents' living room, as usual. And today our guest is Cheryl Strayed. Cheryl is a writer writer that you probably know from her 2012 New York Times bestseller, Wild, and her advice column, Dear Sugar, which she recently relaunched. And that's great, exciting news in a time of not very much exciting news. So, yay, exciting. Yay, thank you for being excited about it, Lizzie. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm really excited to have you. I want to talk to you about Dear Sugar, but I also wanted to say, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but... I just read Wild for the first time, which is probably something that no one, I'm a 38-year-old woman in the United (laughs) States, in the Pacific Northwest, probably the only person who did that recently, because literally everyone I know is telling me to read this book in, you know, 2012, and um, it's really great. They were all so right. (laughs) No, it's funny. The thing is about books uh, is you know, they last forever. I think a lot of times people do have that feeling like, oh, got to read the book, you know, in the year or so that it comes out. But that's not Mm -hmm. true. One of my favorite things to do is go back and be like, wait a minute, I never read that book that, you know, that I heard about 15 years ago. You pick it up and it's just like it just came out. If it's new to you, it's a new book. And I mean, I think it's so interesting. Another thing about books, I was, you know, I was thinking because I haven't read very much because I have a baby and I, you know, had a miscarriage two years ago. And after Mm -hmm. that, I was just like, I can't do anything that is emotional. Like for a while, I was like, I don't want to watch sad movies. I don't want to read right. anything that will make me have any feelings. Um, Cause I have enough feelings. So I just like basically mm-hmm. haven't read books, but they're so personal in a way that, you know, all the writing and reading that the reading, especially that I do online is, is not, when you're reading a book, you just get into somebody else's head and you start yeah. thinking like them. And it's just such a, such a great and personal experience. So I was like, I'm so excited and now nervous to talk to Cheryl Strayed. Like I, I've lived inside her head now. And, um, <laughs> and inside my feet. Right. Oh, your feet. How are your feet? My poor feet. My toenails, all the toenails grew back. Okay, but good. no, I, you know, Lizzie, I love that. I, I think that each art form, I mean, each, every art form gives us something and gives us a lot of things, but each art form I think excels in particular at one mm-hmm. thing. And the thing that that writing and literature excels at, I think, is that that very thing you mentioned. 
that you actually get to be inside somebody else's mind, whether yeah. that be, you know, and if it's a novel or a short story, it's a fictional character. Uh, mm -hmm. So you're inside a mind that doesn't exist. But <laughs> in the case of wild or other nonfiction, like you really do get to inhabit another person's experience in a way that, that you really can't any other in any other form. And that, that's yeah. my favorite thing about books. And I think it's, it's the, the powerful thing about books too is, yeah. you know, you, when you are in, inhabiting someone else's mind, you can't help but have empathy for them. I mean, I guess not always. There are certainly people you read a book and you're like, I hate this person or I hate this character. But, but <laughs> even then, yeah, even then, you know, some of the best books have like terrible, terrible protagonists and you yeah. feel some sort of empathy for them. I mean, some of our like the greatest literature. You read Lolita. Yeah. On the trail. On the trail, yeah. That's that's a well, book there you're like, ooh, I don't like how this is making me feel, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think even if it's not that you have empathy for them, yeah. you, you inhabit their perspective. Right. And, and the way yeah. that they justify their actions uh in the world. And mm -hmm. I think I think that's a really interesting experience. And and yeah. you know, that's what that's why too books can be such a great form of escape, you know, those books that are just like, oh my gosh, you know, you go on some journey, whether it be an actual journey, like on the yeah. Pacific Coast Trail, or, you know, you're with a detective who's trying to solve a crime. I, mm -hmm. I, we just love that. I think it's an innate part of who we are. Yeah, I'm, I'm also really sad that I just remembered that at this part of the pandemic, because it was such a good escape. And I felt like, oh, I can read a book in front of my baby. I feel better reading a book and like watching her kind of out of the corner of my eye in a safe spot than like slipping through my phone. Cause then she's watching me do something that's good that adults should be doing, you know? Yeah. So, and, well, and I, you I read know, it I like, see, yeah. I got tons of reading done when my kids were babies. Uh, so I have two kids who are now 15 and 16. They're 17 and a half months apart. So oh I had goodness. two babies and we didn't have a TV at, at the time um, or we had one, but we kept it. It was like, it was a little tiny TV that we kept on like a rolling cart in the closet pulled out mm -hmm. like twice a year. And mm -hmm. so when I was like all those hours, you're like pinned in a chair nursing. Um, yeah. I just had a book in my hand and it was before, thankfully it was right before I had a, a cell phone. It was they, they were born in two thousand and five, two thousand and four, and two thousand and five. So it's kind of like before everyone was oh, yeah. just like, you know, had a phone with them all the time. And I mm -hmm. thought about that. Like, I'm really glad that their first. I mean, and again, no, no shame for people oh, no. who are always looking at their phone. Because no. if I had a baby now, it would be the phone I'd be reading. But I love yeah. it that some of their first images are of me with book a book in hand reading. Yeah, I feel like I, well, actually I read that, I read Wild two weeks ago and then last week, this week, I just finished another book that I found on my shelf that another, I think Wild, my grandma was one of the people who told me to read it and she died about a year ago. And this was oh. another book that, yeah, I'm I'm very sad, but also I'm glad she died before this pandemic, honestly, because mm -hmm. she was 93 and it would have been really, really hard, mm -hmm. especially if she died from COVID. But um, yeah, this is, an, she loved to read and this is, it was another book she it's like where the crawdads sing, you know, some some bestseller book that people she was reading, and I was like, oh, it's so entertaining to to read a book, and it's such a different kind of escape than like doom scrolling. It actually like makes me feel better. Yeah. Um, so I now I'm like, yeah, oh, I forgot. I love reading books. That's part of me. <laughs> but I yeah. was thinking also, Wild is a great uh, pandemic read. If I if I had read it in 2012, I probably would have 
decided to go on the Pacific Crest Trail because I was, you know, barely out of my 20s and very dramatic. And um, I definitely, I, I mean, there's like a 95% chance I would have done that. So it's probably better that I didn't read it then. But now it seems like pretty relevant, actually, like the isolation. And so I was wondering if that experience that you had has informed your pandemic experience at all. Huh, that's a great question. I, I think that, you know, it's not not so much, um, I don't see my experience being alone in the wilderness is so different than the, the kind of social distancing mm-hmm. I've had to do. Because on one hand, it's been, I've had to socially distance from all the people outside of my home, but the people inside my home have been very close. So, you know, it's been my husband and our two kids, Carver and Bobby, who are uh, students at Grant High School, a freshman and a sophomore. And, you know, so it's been a lot of like, here we are, you know, here we are together. And of course, my kids, because they're teens, that like they pretty much always just wanna um, stay in there. I'm gonna turn on my light here. They, they, they pretty much always want to just like stay in their rooms and be like, mm-hmm. you know, I always, my joke is that they, they, they've been wanting to socialize, socially isolate for, <laughs> for, for a long time here now. But, um, you know, it, it's, it certainly has um, the way that the link that I guess I see is the experience I had uh, walking on that trail, that, that experience I wrote about in wild is really all about having to um, accept and endure uh, what's uncomfortable mm-hmm. and to keep moving forward and to say, okay, you know, I wish, I wish that, that I was already at the top of the mountain, or I wish that I was already done with this day on the mm-hmm. trail or this week on the trail, or maybe even the whole experience. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, you know, I'm moving towards something mm-hmm. and, and I have to move through difficult things to get there. And I think that, that, that's what we're experiencing culturally um, right now. So I have been really thinking about uh, this vaccine and and wanting to get to that point where mm-hmm. where I'm vaccinated and 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 almost and almost all of us are vaccinated that that we can finally um, be free again mm-hmm. in those ways that we used to take for granted. And so like I, I actually actually I've been really looking t- toward that but also very much trying to stay um, grounded in the reality that is now, which is we have to really, really, really be careful and, and more careful than ever. You know, yeah. I think one of the, the strange parts for me is that I feel like when we, when, when Oregon went on lockdown back in March, mm-hmm. you know, everyone was like really conscientious and staying right. home and all that stuff. And, um, I, you know, I feel like we all have that fatigue and we're like, come on, you know, mm-hmm. but we really have to be, I think, more vigilant than ever. And, you know, being very careful because wouldn't it be terrible, you know, to, I mean, we, we don't want to see, we want to quash this surge. We don't want to see mm-hmm. the worst of it be when the end is in sight. Right. Yeah. I know we're so close and it would be so yeah. bad if like the hospitals filled up. And I mean, the scary thing is it's like, it's not just if you get COVID, it's like anything. If the right. hospitals are at capacity, then you don't you can't go to the hospital for anything. And there's a lot of things that even young people can get, you know, and young people can die of COVID too. So yeah, it is, it's, it's a weird time, but I think that's a good point. Like we have to, there's some things you just have to get through and there's, there's no way of short circuiting that and we're in it, you know? 
but we're also pretty lucky. I think I, I think about that, like as, as tired as I am and I know I'm, I'm just lucky in general all the time. So I always think about that, but I also, I grew up reading a lot of Holocaust literature and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like we should, maybe everyone should read Anne Frank's journal again and just be like, man, at least we have caviar, you know, at least we have FaceTime and yeah, it's hard giving, it giving caviar like the home delivery or the oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I don't have any caviar. I don't even. Yeah, I'm not caviar. eating caviar over here. I don't know. I don't know why I said caviar, not like DoorDash or something that makes more sense. But I, yeah, you know, we have caviar. Don't you have caviar in your in your palace where you live? <laughs> You're funny. Yeah, no, I think it's important. Like, I do think. I mean, this goes back to me to books and stories. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. that one of the, you know, one of the ways that we go on, one of the way, like I would say one of the key ways that we, that we endure what's difficult is we, mm -hmm. we look to stories, whether they be stories from other people saying, this was my experience, this happened to me, this, you know, or in books. So, I mean, I always say, and I said this before the Me Too movement, you know, had, had that, mm -hmm. that phrase, Me Too, it's like, that is the power of literature and also the power of speaking up and telling your story because then other people around you say, me too. I also had that experience or I also struggled with that. And so mm -hmm. it might seem grandiose like, oh, read read those those tales of people who endured things that were way, way harder than what we're enduring. And yet it's actually like a really healthy response to the situation, um, looking to others to see how they did what was difficult. Yeah. Um, and that reminds us that we can do hard things, that we can yeah. we can confront that discomfort. We can accept what we don't want to have to accept, and um, we can do it with some some grace and know that we're not alone. That this is not a story that's just happening now. That right. it's a story that has happened time and time again to people all around the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also think like we can think of our own struggles. <laughs> like, oh, I actually overcame something you know, remembering what you have done already in the past sometimes for yeah. me helps. Like, this isn't the hardest thing, you know, like, yeah. this isn't the only Christmas I've missed with my family or the, you mm -hmm. know, the only, and the, yeah. Well, it's, books are kind of amazing. And now I'm just thinking of the, never mind, I'm not even talking about it because it's so ridiculous. It's like a Emerson essay that I think about all the time, like some sort of ridiculous English major that I am. Um, but moving on to Dear Sugar, that's what I wanted to ask you about. Uh, so I guess when was the last time you did Dear Sugar before this new iteration? It's been a little while, right? Yeah, so let's just go back to the beginning. Okay. <laughs> um, back in, in like February of 2010, I had just finished the first full draft of Wild and I sent it off to my editor. And uh, I got an email from my friend, Steve Almond, who at that time was just an acquaintance of mine. And he had been writing this column called Dear Sugar on a website called therumpus.net that had just started up like a year or so before. And I had read it and actually liked what he wrote. And I, and I didn't know it was him writing it. He was writing it anonymously. Mm -hmm. And I sent him an email saying, I don't know who you are, but I like this column and I wish you did mm -hmm. it more often. Because he would just do it like once in a while, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And so out of the blue, I get this email from Steve Allman saying, hey, Cheryl, I've been writing the Dear Sugar column. I don't want to do it anymore. Nobody <laughs> reads it. You're the, and he said, you're, yours is the only fan letter I've ever received. And you know, years later, I was like, oh, come on, Steve, you're being hyperbolic. And he was like, no, literally. Like, <laughs> so he says to me, do you want to take over this column? It, it doesn't pay anything. Um, hardly anyone reads it. And um, you know, do you want to do it? And, and I was like, I because I just finished the first draft of Wild, and I knew that I was going to have to do you know a revision, and there's this whole process it goes through. But I was like, oh, this sounds so fun, and it sounds kind of like my lifelong dream of you know reading letters from people who are, are telling me their sorrows and their oh, secrets yeah. and their troubles. Like I just we all love that, right? Yeah. And I thought, well, this will be a lark. And so mm-hmm. I did it. And and the great thing about being paid nothing for your mm-hmm. work, and not just your work, but your years of apprenticeship to the writing craft leading right. up to your ability to do this work, um, is you could do whatever you want. Like there wasn't anyone saying, mm-hmm. no, it's too long or too this uh-huh. or that. I just, like, and I just, you know, I went from thinking it would be a kind of lighthearted kind of experiment in trying to be kind of snarky and funny mm-hmm. and it, that immediately dissipated because I realized like okay like I am just not that person like I you know <laughs> obviously the sugar column is funny in part but it's mm-hmm. it's deeply sincere and it's deeply right. like I really really pondered you know people's problems and I really wanted to help them yeah. and and I did that thing we've been talking about all along is mm-hmm. I as I realized that story to me is the thing that has had the most healing power in my life mm-hmm. story uh, is what helped illuminate my path what still helps console me when I'm feeling alone so I would tell stories from my life by way of answering people's um, letters so I did that for a couple of years mm-hmm. um, just before wild was published I revealed my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and here again, this wasn't like some kind of big marketing campaign that everyone, yeah. you know, people make these assumptions that like, oh, this was just, and it's like, no, it was actually just me, little old me saying <laughs> a lot of people are guessing I'm sugar. And also I never knew, I never wanted to stay anonymous. You know, I always mm-hmm. knew I'd put my name on it. It was just mm-hmm. kind of fun to be anonymous for a while. Yeah. So I revealed my identity as sugar. I think and- I remember that. I was living in San Francisco at that time. So I... Yeah. And I like, I wrote an article for the Rumpus. I, the Rumpus was doing things in San Francisco at that time. Yeah. So I remember. Yeah. So I revealed my identity. And then a month later, Wild was published. And immediately it was like this big thing. And mm-hmm. then a few months after Wild was published, the collection of my Dear Sugar columns, Dear Sugar, came out. And mm-hmm. I just got so busy with, uh, you know, my career and promoting these books and all of the things that happened in my life, the movie, everything, mm-hmm. on and on and on that I stopped writing the sugar column, but I since then I wrote it a few times. And then also, of course, a few years later, I started a podcast with Steve Almond and we did a podcast called Dear Sugars, where together it, it wasn't written responses, but we would discuss, you know, we would get letters and discuss them on our podcast, which it was produced by WBOR and the New York Times. And so there was that iteration of sugar. And then we stopped doing that. We did it for about four years. And then after that, more recently, I just had this, you know, all these years, even though I've not been writing the column, people still send me letters to Dear Sugar. And I just, back in October, I think I was feeling so 
upset about the state of the world and the feeling that so many of us have of, of sorrow and fear um, that I just decided to, to uh, take, bring it back in a new form, in the old form, writing the column once a month, but, uh, but you know, really doing it um, in that old style way of telling stories. So I think I lost Lizzie. Oh my goodness, there's a blank screen. <laughs> so in any case, for if the if those of you who are still watching, are people still watching? Can you guys still hear me? I don't know. Maybe put in the comments if you can still hear me. <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't know. Yes, you can still hear me. Okay, I'm gonna talk everyone until Lizzie comes back. So the Dear Sugar column, I brought it back as a monthly newsletter on this thing called Substack, which is this new kind of new-ish kind of company that a lot of writers are on. Um, I have my newsletter on that site and also the monthly letter. You can sign up for it. If you just go to my website, CherylStrade.com, you'll find links that will take you to it. Um, okay, why don't I answer some questions um, from some of you guys? Since Lizzie's not here, does anyone have a question for me? Um, thank you for all the sweet, <laughs> sweet comments there. I'm, I'm really, I'm really, uh, touched. So if anyone has a question for me until Lizzie gets back or I can just, um, talk. I also did a podcast, um, called sugar calling more recently. Uh, I had stopped doing the dear sugars podcast, but then early this year when that pandemic hit, my old producer, Lisa Tobin from the New York times called me and said, do you want to do something else? And I had this idea, and here again, it's sort of a theme for our time together. I had this idea of where do I get this wisdom? And it is from books, it is from writers, it is from people telling their story. So this podcast, I decided to call it Sugar Calling. And the concept is, I just called writers over the age of 60 who I love. And I just put that border, that, that line of 60, simply because I thought, oh, I just want people who have been been around for a while. And especially that that's the age group that we hear over and over that's been most deeply affected by COVID um, in terms of health outcomes. And so I just did a short mini series of six episodes where I called various writers I love. And I, I got to talk to people like Judy Bloom. And those of you out there who are my age-ish, I'm 52. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. If, to get to talk to Judy Bloom was like mind blowing since she taught me everything I know about like my body when I was a teenager. Okay, here's a question. What is your writing routine for a book? Okay, so I'm I'm working on a book right now, long overdue. Um, and Katie, thank you for the question. My routine is to, um, to <laughs> I'm I'm hesitating because I wanna I wanna tell you that it's like oh you know I wake up at seven I'm at my desk by seven thirty and I stay there until three, basically because I have kids and because I have you know a career that takes me in all different directions. What I try to do is just week by week uh, set a schedule for myself and be disciplined about it. And so some weeks it's like I can work just a few hours, and then some weeks I say okay. I'm actually going to be like, you know, a crazy person. And for 48 hours, I'm hardly going to do anything 
but this um, book, I've, I've always, and not just books, I just recently finished a screenplay. And, you know, what I find is I do best when I can have what I call like binge writing sessions where I have nothing else to do, um, or at least I try to get the people in my life not to interrupt me for a certain number of hours so I can sink in. Because so much of writing is concentration and just the ability to, to be alone and think. A huge part of my writing process is going on walks, which seems you know like, oh, that's not work, but it's actually work. Like I write and then I go for a walk and I always have other ideas. Like it's actually, I've, I've, I've realized that I, need to integrate that into part of my creative life. Like recently I just finished this revision of the screenplay and I, it was all done. And I, the, the right before I sent it off to the people who hired me to write it, I was like, I knew I was like, okay, I'm going to go take a two hour walk and not, you know, just, I'm just going to let my mind wander because I know what will happen is as I'm out there, I will have an idea. Um, for some piece that I need to add or change or something that's not quite right. And sure enough, like that always happens. And so then I came back and I did that last polish and then I sent it off. So it is part of my creative process um, to do that. Okay. What other, what else do we have? Um, Julie, have you considered hiking the Porsche on the PCT with your kids and writing about that? Oh yeah. I have two ki kids at home that would love to read. That. That's a, you know, Julie, could you, come to my house and talk to my teenagers. That would be really nice if you could convince them. But you know, really honestly, my kids do love the outdoors and they both hike and canoe and so forth. Um, lately, they're more interested in doing that with their friends. But my plan had always been, my husband and I had always wanted to do the state of Washington with our kids. We thought, you know, since I finished my hike, The Bridge of the Gods, it'd be, we thought it would be a great place to start, walk across the bridge and then hike the state of Washington. And that's not off the table. Um, we don't have plans to do that next summer, but maybe the summer after that, you know, before my kids finish high school, I would love to do that. And yes, I will write about that. Great question. Okay, now we have Kat. Hello, I have been pondering walking the Camino de Santiago. Have you ever considered? Yes, I, I totally want to do that. And you know, last summer um i was supposed to go do a long hike in wales wales has uh, uh just unbelievable long trails and so forth and my husband and i were supposed to do that and we had to cancel it because of the pandemic and i'm so 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 hoping um we get to do that next summer but then next on my list is um doing some some hikes in spain and portugal and france it's you know that it's such amazing hiking territory. So I would love to do that too. And I, I think too, this, this hike we were going to do in Wales or that we are going to do next summer and the Camino and other trails in Europe like that. One of the things I love about them is you can stay in, in little inns and so forth along the way. As humble as they are, there's a bed, which, you know, that makes my middle-aged bones uh, really happy. Any other questions? Katie? Are you in a writing club um, who, who pre-reads my books? I used to be in a writer's group. Um, I used to be in a writer's group with some amazing authors, Portland authors that some of you have probably heard of. Chelsea Kane, Lydia Yuknovich, Monica Drake, Susie Vitello, Chuck Palahniuk, it was, and, and others. Hi, Lizzie. 
Hi, that was terrible. My parents, I guess their internet just stopped working and now I'm on my okay. phone. You know, what happened and... is these lovely people. Um, mm -hmm. Hi, child. Um, these, who's this? So yeah, I was in the writer's group with those mm -hmm. people. And um, they, I, I, Lizzie, I'm just going to finish answering the question that somebody asked yeah. and then we can take over. Um, and I, once, once I published Wild, I just got my life, I was traveling too much and, and I got too erratic. So I, I pulled, I, I had to stop going to it. But you know, my, who pre-reads my work, who, my only first best reader is my husband. He always reads every single thing I write. And my husband, Brian Lindstrom, who's also an artist, he's a, he's a documentary filmmaker. And he's just, I trust him beyond words. So really I just show it to him and then I send it off to my editor. That's awesome. Okay, so Lizzie, talking, back to you. Yes, I'm back. And you know, now I'm on this jerky phone and it's really, you can hear my whole family in the background. This is a very classic pandemic thing to have happened. Can you guys? Be it's okay. You know, I just went right into the audience questions, so that was nice. That's so good. That's perfect. You really took over, and I really appreciate it. Um, I and now it's you know it's been thirty minutes, and I should probably let you go soon. I was wondering, what is the thing that you're most looking forward to? Say, we all get vaccinated, and and we can go out in the world and experience the world again the way we used to, or at least some version of the way we used to. Uh, what what's the first thing you're gonna do? Oh well, for sure, just to just be able to go to the local businesses again and 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 linger, you know. <laughs> I mean, to poke around a bookstore, um, yeah. to to poke around a grocery store in a leisurely fashion instead of trying to you know get in and out of there. Uh, yeah. to really to like eat in restaurants. I cannot wait to eat and drink in restaurants to have somebody else you know, just bring me food and drink. I mean, I'm, I really miss that. And then travel, mm -hmm. you know, I really, I'm such a traveler and mm -hmm. I so miss, you know, all of the fun things that my family does. Um, we had to not do, we've had to not do yeah. And I know like other people have suffered way more than that little discomfort, mm -hmm. but you know, I miss, I miss those, those kind of fun outings, even the, just the traditions, like, our tradition, we don't have a big family. We just have the four of us. So mm -hmm. this holiday season, like we're not really giving up um, family time, but what we're giving up is just like all of those, you know, like every Christmas Eve, our tradition is to have dinner at the ringside downtown. Uh, um, and, and, you know, we don't get to do that. And, you know, mm -hmm. go to certain parties at certain friends' house, houses or have friends over, you know, on Christmas day, like we have certain traditions that, that we don't get to do. And, and so, yeah, I, I just cannot wait to get back to that kind of thing is the fun yeah. stuff essentially. And totally. also, it's fun. also getting my kids out the door into school. That is, it, oh my goodness. <laughs> I want that so much. And they do too. Yeah, I bet they do. I can't even imagine being a teenager right now. We were just oh. talking about this before at the beginning of like the the social aspect of high school and middle school is just yeah. I mean that's all that's what it is in and it's it's I such know. it seems so sad and every day in high school can be dramatic and important you know and yeah miss, missing so many of them is that must be really hard and I it's super I feel hard for kids yeah 
I wish I wish they could get after the old people and the frontline workers, teenagers, vaccinate the teenagers. Well, you know, um, I think they are, yeah. you know, pretty far up in the line. But what's weird is I was just talking to my husband about this today. It's like it's it's not just the teenagers who need to be vaccinated. It's the, all the staff and faculty who work in the schools. And yeah. of course, they they're not. Uh, it'll be really interesting. I, that That's the thing I'm most curious to know right now is how you know, how is Multnomah County, it will, I mean, all over, obviously, the world, but how are we here in Multnomah County going to um, roll out this vaccine? And, you know, when, how do we know when, when we're, our time, when our turn is up to get vaccinated? I'll be, I'm okay. sure all of that is in the works, but wow, I, I just want the people who really need it the most to get it as soon as possible. Right, like next week, hopefully, <laughs> as soon as yeah. we can get it. That'd be great, yeah. Yeah. Maybe they need like a some we need like a summer camp version of school where it's like college students just sort of like monitoring high school students so they can all just like hang out again. But yeah, poor kids. I just but, I yeah, we'll be back someday. We just have to stay strong yeah. and we can. It's coming. It's definitely, you know, I feel like the last month or so there's been just like this little bit of hope in the future. We just have to get through the really hard part now. <laughs> we indeed. Like, the I agree. Part, like know that it's coming and and it's like cold, but we can do it. I think we can do it. We can do it. We've got it in. Well, us. can you tell people where they can find your uh, find the new Dear Sugar and anything else that you have going on? Yeah. Well, the best place to kind of find all the different things I have going on is to visit my website, CherylStrade.com. There I have events listed. I don't have many events coming up, but some, you know, like the, there's always some something on the horizon um, that you can yeah. find on my events page. Also that will provide links to, uh, you know, my Dear Sugar uh, column. If you want to sign up to receive that every month, you, you can find a link to that there. Also information about my books. Um, I have a new calendar out, Wild, Brave, and True 2021 calendar that WordPress uh, just put out. And there's a link on my website oh. if you ever want to buy any of my signed books or a signed cal calendar. I do it through Broadway Books, my my beloved indie bookstore here in Northeast oh. Portland. And year-round, I mean, for holiday gifts, it's great. But year-round, you can always order um, signed and personalized books from me. I just pop down there every so often and, and sign the, all the books and they get them out. So it's a cool thing. And there's a link on the, Great spot. you know, you can order it online on my website. Awesome. Well, uh, I really want to say thank you, especially for taking over when the technical difficulties overcame me. Um, I really, no problem. Well, Lizzie, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight to talk to you. And also the crowd here who were brave enough to ask me questions when, when I was left on my own. Thank you, all of you, for, for asking questions. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, you can help spread the word by telling a friend or by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.